Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Invite those who are able to please stand for our first lesson, 1 Corinthians 13, <clears throat> beginning in verse 4. Listen now to the Word of God. Love is patient, and love is kind, and love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Once again, those who are able are invited to stand for our second lessons, plural. So I want to read from the Old Testament, from the book of the Psalms. And then we will hear from the New Testament Galatians. First, Psalm 13. Listen to God's Word. How long, O Lord, wilt Thou forget me forever? How long wilt Thou hide Thy face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I, I have trusted in thy steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because He has dealt bountifully with me. The Word of the Lord. And turning to the New Testament, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, the fourth chapter. Again, God's Word to us. I mean that the heir, as long as that one is a child, is no better than a slave, for though he or she is owner of all the estate, but he or she is under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So with us, when we were children, we were slaves to the ele elemental spirits of the universe. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So through God, you are no longer a slave, but a son, a daughter. And if a child of God, then an heir. 
This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Today is December 7th. We remember Pearl Harbor on this day, many of us, 1941. But today on December 7th is also the second Sunday in the season of Advent. And this is the second Sunday in a sermon series in Advent entitled Comprehending Christmas. We're trying to wrap, with God's help, wrap our minds around and open our hearts to this incredible gift that we celebrate and anticipate at Christmas, Christ's birth and His return. And to undergird this this sermon series, we are using a verse from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It's on the front of the bulletin. The third chapter, the 18th verse, where Paul says, I pray that you may have the power with all the saints to comprehend how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. Last week, we discussed the wideness of God's love. We identified that there is a gap, there is a chasm that is created between us and God by our sin. But we also celebrated and more deeply understood that the wideness of that gap is spanned by the even wider love and grace of God who waits for us with arms wide open, who reaches to us wherever we are with those long arms and that wide reach. This week we will consider the length of God's love. And I want us to do that not so much in a a sense as a a measure of of distance, but I want us to consider the the length, how long is God's love in Jesus Christ as it relates to time. Seconds, minutes, hours, days. Or relates to time as in seasons, cycles, process over a lifetime. I want us to think primarily of this length of God's love in terms of waiting. For most of us do not wait well. In my previous pastorate in Madison, Georgia, I had a dear friend and we covenanted with each other that we were going to read Scripture and other works of Christian literature and we would pray together on a regular basis. And we did that for several years and we would meet at the Waffle House to do this. And on this one particular uh, morning that, that I recalled, We walked into Waffle House. I think it was during the time when you could still smoke in a restaurant. And we walked in and got hit with the thick smell of bacon on the the griddle and, and the thick smell of cigarette smoke. I miss that when I walk into Waffle House these days. You get the bacon, but anyway. My friend peeled off and went to the men's room, and I went to our favorite booth by the window and waited for him. And it was a couple of minutes later when he arrived at his seat, and he was muttering under his breath, and he was wiping his hands on his pants and then reached for those little postage stamp-sized napkins that they have on the table for you. And I said, what is up? 
And he said, those darn hand dryers, I hate them. They don't work, and I'm not going to stand there long enough to find out whether they do work. Sound familiar? We do not wait well. But let's see what the Lord may teach us about waiting today and about the length of His love, His patient love for us. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we do not wait well. We're anxious. We're impatient people. We're hurried. Many of us are moving at a speed in our lives and in our, our minds that is not healthy for us. We feel like there is so little time for all that we feel like we need to do or needs to get done. And we have so little time for You. Lord, we come to You this morning and we acknowledge our deep need for You and we ask from our hurried hearts and lives that You would teach us today how to wait about the length of Your patient love that we see so clearly in Jesus the Christ. And we pray in His name. Amen. Waiting is not a very popular attitude. I don't need to make that case anymore. We don't like to wait. And most of us do not do it well. When will the light change? When is this traffic going to clear? These people get out of my way. When will the cake be ready? When will this person finally change and see things my way? When will the baby come? When will conception come? When will the job offer appear? When will life not be so hard? And waiting can be so hard, and many of us think of it as a waste of time. Waiting is that awful desert that we find ourselves in where we are at this place, but it is at another place that we so desperately want and feel like we need to be. I believe that this waiting that we have difficulty with is so hard because deep down we're fearful. We're afraid. We have difficulty waiting because of our fear. And fear is a pervasive attitude in our culture and our day. We're afraid of terrorist attacks. We're, we're afraid of the future. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of other people. We're even afraid of our own inner feelings, thoughts. Fearful people, Henry Nouwen says, have a hard time waiting because when we're afraid, we want to get away from where we are. And if we can't flee our present circumstances where we are, then we want to fight. Because that is our natural reaction. Flee or fight. 
You take a fear pulse with you just for a minute. Let's check how we're doing on the fearful scale in our lives. How aggressive have you been lately? How much indignation do you carry? Are you put out with others? Are you fed up with the situation? Many of our destructive acts come out of our reaction to fear of our current situation. Fear of what will be done to us. And so we act first. And thus we see in this reaction, this, this first strike mentality that we have in our approach to life and our approach to others. The more afraid we are, the harder waiting becomes. And this is why waiting is such an unpopular attitude for many. Let me ask this question. How are you doing on the waiting scale? And I'm not talking about your holiday diet. How are you doing on the waiting scale? How would you rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 with how anxious you feel, with how much peace you can identify in your souls? How are you doing on the waiting scale or on the fear factor? The truth of the matter is that we are all waiting for something. In the Advent story that we encounter in Luke's Gospel, which is rather long and detailed, in this Advent story that, that we read this time of the year, we encounter people who are waiting. The first two characters that we, that we encounter in Luke's Gospel are Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they have been waiting for a long time particularly for a child, and Elizabeth is barren. In Luke's narrative, we also encounter Mary and Joseph who are waiting for a wedding, for their lives to begin, for their lives to unfold. And then later after the birth of the Christ, when they take Him to the temple on the eighth day to observe the Jewish law of circumcision in presenting the child, there in the temple they encounter Anna and Simeon who were well on in age, we are told. And Anna and Simeon are faithfully praying for and waiting and asking for the Lord to reveal to them His Christ, His Messiah. These are all people who were waiting in some way. And in some way, each one of these couples hear the word of the Lord through God's messenger saying, Do not be afraid. I've got some good things for you. I have the best thing for you. In light of this news to them, the waiting, waiting for something, they then, they then are waiting for something good to happen. In reality, these figures represent for us in their waiting Israel, 
waiting for the Messiah, waiting for its redemption, waiting for God to reveal God's self. And the Psalms are full of this attitude of waiting. We read from Psalm 13 where the psalmist begins by saying, How long, O Lord? Are you going to forget me forever? How long is this going to be the way that it is? Or from Psalm 129, My soul is waiting for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman yearn and wait for the morning. This is the song that reverberates through all of Scripture. And we see that, that most grow weary in the waiting. They don't have the stomach for it. They don't like the unknown of it. They don't like feeling out of control in it. And that's understandable. I get that. But Scripture also tells us about those who are willing to continue to wait. And Scripture identifies that remnant, that faithful remnant, that precious remnant of God's people who are attentive to and waiting for the redemption of Israel, not on their own terms. Like Elizabeth and Zechariah, Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna, they are able to wait attentively, to wait expectantly. And so what is it about this waiting that we can learn from them? How is it that we are called to be those who wait? The first characteristic of this waiting for us can be seen that it is done with a sense of promise. These characters that I have mentioned, these couples, these, these faithful ones, they wait with a sense of promise because they have heard from the Lord, you will bear a son. Mary hears the word of the angel, you will conceive although you even are a virgin. And Simeon and Anna have been promised by the Lord, you will see the Lord's Christ. And people who, who wait have received a promise. And that promise is something that is at work in them. I'm reminded of Paul's words in his letter to the church in Philippi when he encourages those early Christians encountering their own challenges and difficulty and crisis in their own community and faith. And Paul says to them, I am confident. I am confident that the good work that God began in you will grow and it will reach full flower. Waiting in the Christian sense is never a waiting in nothingness to something. It is a movement from something that God has given to us to that something more that God has promised and will show us. We wait with a sense of promise. We also wait in an active way. Most think that waiting is a hopeless state determined by events that are totally out of our control. Active waiting is best seen in, in the life of the farmer. I'm remembering from the letter of James who describes this patient yet active waiting of the farmer who prepares to plant the seed, who puts the seed in the soil, 
And all the while, as the plant grows up out of the ground and continues to develop and mature, even in the process of waiting for the harvest, if any of you have done anything in gardening or know anything about farming, it is far from passive. Amen? Now, yesterday, I had the opportunity to go to Atlanta, and there was a little football game that they had in the Georgia Dome. And I had a great time because I really didn't care which team won, although I did have on a crimson hat with an A on it, and I said, roll tight a couple of times, and I hope the Bulldog Nation will forgive me. But after the game, there were two Missouri fans that were left, and we sat in an area of the dome where, where Bama and, and Missouri fans were intermingled together. And so we had to learn how to get along in the midst of the ups and mostly downs for one particular team. But at the end of the game, most of the Missouri fans had gone, except for this nice couple that sat behind us, and we struck up a conversation. And it turns out he was a farmer from a small little community in central Missouri. He said, I came to this game last year with my wife. He said, we made it to the SEC championship game. I said, we'll never come to this game again, or at least it's going to be a long time. So why don't we go? And then lo and behold, here we are back again this year. So I looked at my wife and I said, let's go. And so there they were in Atlanta at the game. I found out he's a farmer. He and his wife are grain farmers. They raise corn and they raise soybean. I said, how many acres do you do? After he told me, it's primarily just the two of us. He said, 1,800. Holy cow. They're not sitting around very much as they wait for the harvest. In the same way, there's work for us to be done as we pray for and look for and celebrate the kingdom of God coming on earth, even as it is in heaven. When we wait in an active manner, we can be present to the moment in which we find ourselves. We can be present to all of God has in store for us now. Thirdly, waiting. Waiting is best done by a patient person. Waiting demands patience. Let me ask you this question. Think in your mind about the most patient person that you know or that you have known in your life. Who is the most patient person that you know? And when you have that person, do you? When you have that person, I am willing to make a bet with you that that person is also the most loving person that you know. Probably not the youngest person that you know. I think patience sometimes is a gift of God, a fruit of the Spirit that comes over time. I think it was St. Augustine who said, Lord, I want patience and give it to me right now. And St. Augustine was also the one who prayed, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. No, patience sometimes comes with age. People who are seasoned by life. Think about the interaction between a grandparent and a grandchild versus an anxious younger parent and their growing child. 
At 8.45, I said, I can't wait to be a grandparent. And they said, here you are preaching about waiting, and now you can't wait. Well, I'm looking forward to, not any time in the near future, to being a grandparent. Because I am going to be so loving and patient, I pray. Think of that veteran teacher who is dealing with that difficult student. And they are so patient with that child because this is not their first rodeo. And they have seen this before and they know the seed that is planted in that precious soul that will one day flower. And they are able to nurture, guide, and stay with that little one in the most difficult of circumstances. And they are patient. The Bible says that love is patient. In the King James Version, I like the translation because it says love suffers long. And sometimes it feels like suffering in the waiting. But this love does not insist its own way. It doesn't rejoice at the wrong, but it rejoices in the truth. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. This love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love never ends. That's a long time. Our waiting is open-ended. Waiting is not on our timetable, we must admit. And it is not a process that we can, tr can control, we must be honest. But waiting is not based on our wishes, it is based on our hope. And hope is a very powerful thing that will not disappoint us. Because our hope is based on the promise that is given to us in the living God that we know in Jesus Christ. And we have that promise that has been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ that is being fulfilled in the presence of the living Christ with us and that will be fulfilled in the fullness of Christ's coming and the redemption of His creation. For Christ will come again. And this is the truth that undergirds all of our waiting. And so we can trust. But many times to get to this place to be able to wait in this manner that I've described and to trust in this way is we must get to a point of our own nothingness. I loved what Joan Gray said, who was our Advent speaker last week at the luncheon, and she spoke of Mary, of coming to that place of nothingness with the angel and, and surrendering to say, Behold, I am a handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me as you have spoken. I'm not controlling this. In the same way, we grow in our trust when we come to that place to say, Lord, You are in control. And I trust Your promise. Elizabeth said to Mary, Blessed is she who believed that the promise made her by the Lord would be fulfilled. Blessed is the one that believes that the Lord fulfills His promise in us and in all things. And then Mary, in response to what Elizabeth said, she replied and said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And our waiting turns into praise and celebration. 
The last thing I want to say is that, is that we in our waiting do not wait alone. We wait together as Mary and Elizabeth found each other in their waiting states. We are called together, young and old, anxious and trusting, fearful and hopeful, peaceful and in turmoil. We wait together while we are supporting and celebrating and affirming what God has done, is doing, and promises to do in Jesus Christ. With this thought of the fact that we wait together, I'll end with this quote by Henry Nouwen who talks about the Christian community as those people who wait. And he writes, the whole meaning of the Christian community lies in offering a space in which we wait for that which we have already seen. Christian community is the place where we keep the flame alive among us and take it seriously so that it can grow and become stronger in us. In this way, we can live with courage, trusting that there is a spiritual power within us that allows us to live in this world without being seduced by constant despair, lostness, and darkness. That is how we dare to say that God is a God of love even when we see hatred all around us. That is why we can claim that God is a God of life even when we see death and destruction and agony all around us. Waiting together. We stay in it together. We affirm one another, waiting together, nourishing what has already begun, expecting its fulfillment. That is the meaning of marriage, of friendship, of community. It is the meaning of the Christian life. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? Loving God, we are a people who are waiting for so much. But help us to recognize by your Holy Spirit, present and at work in our lives as individuals and as a church, that you too are waiting for us. Your love suffers long, and you are patient. Bring us to the point of nothingness that we might embrace your fullness. To the glory of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.